Well, listeners, even as we now come to the second part of the show, which is questions and answers from God's Word, I am impressed you guys are on the ball this morning. We've got questions coming through, particularly on WhatsApp. Uh, we've had uh, questions coming in from uh, An- Anandi uh, on WhatsApp. We've had questions coming in from Mandy on WhatsApp. Uh, thank you guys so much for engaging and interacting. Alicia, I see uh, the conversation that you, uh, thread that you've started there and uh, we'll take a look at that shortly. Um, I did mention that I wanted to start uh, the show by just talking about Bible translations uh, and in particular uh, the difference between the English Standard Bible um, and uh, the Christian Standard Bible and the reason for that is that uh, I've moved uh, from using the Christian Standard Bible to the English Standard Bible uh, in the pulpit. I, I, and the reason for that is I've, I've moved congregations. I've moved from the Benoni, from serving the congregation of Crystal Park Baptist Church in Benoni, uh, to serving at um, uh, Central Baptist Church in Pretoria. Crystal Park Baptist Church had adopted the Christian Standard Bible and so I previously preached uh, from that translation um, but recently now moving uh, to Central Baptist Church they preach as their, as their house text from the English Standard Bible uh, English Standard Version and uh, a number of folk have, have asked as to the reason why I would move from one translation to the other um, did I use the Christian Standard Bible and kind of like uh, and, and make maybe uh, uh, secondary or derogatory statements about other translations and so I wanted to clear some of that up because I think it might be useful even for those of you who are, are thinking about maybe buying a new Bible um, for those of you who have been reading your Bible and wondering about all the various different translations of, that are out there you might have a couple of questions uh, and I thought it might be useful to begin the show this morning by clarifying um, that particular topic. So where do we start when we start talking about English translations? I, I think we start with uh, joy and praise to Almighty God. Um, joy because we have so many excellent translations of God's Word in English uh, and that should that should really create a, a spirit of gladness and thankfulness in our hearts. And then praise to God who has preserved his word faithfully on earth, even as it is perfectly preserved uh, in heaven. Uh, And so even as we start to talk about Bible translations, I think it's a great opportunity to give praise and glory to God. The next kind of question that comes to my mind is why do we have so many translations? Why why do we have uh, NIVs, NASBs, KJVs, the NKJVs, ESVs, CSPs, and and maybe just to explain what those acronyms are, if you're not familiar with them, uh, a KJV would be a King James version, uh, almost certainly the uh, 1611 uh, translation. Uh, NKJV would be a New King James version. ESV, an English Standard version. Uh, CSB, a Christian Standard Bible, uh, NIV, the New International Version, and that comes in a couple of different uh, year publications. The the one that I particularly enjoyed was a 1982. I'm fairly certain the latest is a 2011, um, where there's been some changes. Uh, the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. Why do we have so many translations out there? 
So I would say that there's probably three primary reasons why there are so many translations uh, on the market. The first one is is due to language changes. Uh, the meaning of English words change over time. And so it becomes necessary to update the translation to retain integrity to the original intent. Now, now let me just underline that phrase at the end of the statement that I just made, original intent. Friends, as, as we read our Bibles in English, we want to understand what the original author meant and what the original author said. And by original author, I, I mean the guys that wrote the text. You know, in the New Testament, you've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those sound like the names of maybe our parents or our brothers and, uh, or, or possibly our children. Um, but in actual fact, Matthew's name wasn't Matthew. That's a very English-sounding name. Um, Matthew w- wasn't wasn't English. Uh, Matthew would have been a, a good Jew. He was a tax collector, almost definitely. Um, he lived uh, 2,000 years ago, and the language that he would have spoken and understood and written in would have been maybe a smattering of Hebrew, uh, most certainly an, an understanding of uh, Aramaic, because uh, that seems a to be one of the languages that is referred to in the New Testament and then most definitely because this is what he wrote in uh, Greek, uh, Kononia Greek Uh, he he, he wrote to a world that understood um, the Greek language and so when we have our English translations in front of us we need to really understand that these are translations of the Greek texts that we have received and as such, as as we go through them, we need to understand that just like Greek has changed from ancient Greek spoken 2,000 years ago to modern Greek spoken today, so too English has changed over the last 400 years since the, the first English translation started to appear uh, on the scene, whether that be the Wycliffe translation or, or later the King James translation. Uh, English as a language changes. Now, English changes pretty quickly um, because as a language... Um, we, we kind of effectively, and I say this rather tongue-in-cheek, but we we, we steal from other languages. Uh, a lot of our words that come into the English language, we, we borrow or we steal from the people around us. Let me give you two examples that spring to mind. The one is the word felt. We talk about the felt here in South Africa. Uh, the bush felt um, is, is, a, is a very common word uh, in English used all around the country and even all around the world. Well, th- that comes to us uh, from Afrikaans. You think of the word tsunami, um, uh, if you go down to the coast or you hear of that tsunami, that terrible tsunami, the Christmas tsunami that uh, wrecked so much of the world, that's not an English word, or at least it didn't start off being an English word. That That's a word that comes to us from Japanese. It's been acquired or appropriated. We, we've brought it into our lexicon, into our language. And so one of the reasons why we have multiple translations of God's word is because language changes, English changes over time. And we're less interested in knowing what an English person wrote down 400 years ago when we're reading our Bibles as to what the original author intended and wrote um, when he wrote in Greek. And so as we understand more about the Greek language and as we as our own English language changes, so we need to um, update our translations in order to help our readers get to the meaning of 
verses, chapters, and books, uh, and be as clear and um, and uh, engage with as much fidelity as what they possibly can. Let me give you a second reason after language changes regarding why many so tr- uh, why many why so many translations, and that is translation methods. There's different methods when it comes to translating from one language into another and different translations have have different approaches for how they best render the Hebrew, the Aramaic and the Greek into English. Um, some Bible translations translate as literally as possible, word for word, as far as they possibly can. I, I think of a, a very, very literal translation, wooden, if you had to actually read it, and that would be Young's literal translation. Young's literal translation, the YLT. Um, this is basically a word for word from the Greek into the English as far as it possibly can so, so that an English reader can access um, even the position that the words appear in the Greek text. Greek isn't written the same as English. English has um, you know where your subject is and where your object is de- determines the meaning of the sentence. Greek doesn't work exactly like that. Word order can change. Uh, you can move a verb around. You can move your uh, present participles uh, into varying different places to change the emphasis uh, of, of where um, of what the author's original intent was. On the other side of literal translations or word for word translations, some Bible versions translate dynamically where possible. In other words, they they translate thought for thought rather than word for word. Their intention is not to convey so much the word order that a particular author used as a thought order of what a particular uh, author is trying to convey. And so we might talk about translations such as the New Living Translation um, or even the message conveying more a thought for thought dynamic idea of what's going on in the translative mind in order to get to the thoughts of the original author. So we, I've given you two reasons why there are so many translations. The first was language changes and the second is this this idea of translation methods. Let me give you a third reason why there are multiple versions and it comes down to source texts. There are two primary Greek texts which translators use. The first we could call, and we do call, textus receptus, which which really means the received text. And so there, there was a guy named Erasmus. He was in the 1500s, so we're talking like 500 years ago, and he compiled a Greek text uh, called the textus receptus, and that forms the basis behind two. Uh, translations of God's word that would be the King James version and the New King James version beyond the King James and the New King James version which use a very specific Greek text um, there is what are called the Alexandrian texts um, and and together using what's called the eclectic method um, they consider external as well as internal evidences for determining the most likely original text uh, of God's word and most other Bible translations use that so whether we're talking about the New American Standard Bible or whether we're talking about the New International Version or whether we are talking about the English Standard Bible or the Christian Standard Bible we're talking about this uh, the second method this eclectic method using the the 
best modern understanding of what the original text uh, uh, would have been uh, in order to derive a text um, that then becomes the basis for the English translation. Now this is very important because when you put those three together, the idea of language changes, the idea of translation methods, and the idea of source text, when you put that together you get a whole lot of variance and variety that are are available to translators as they translate um, uh, 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 versions or translations of God's word. And, And I guess if you were super cynical you could add a fourth reason for uh, for why there are so many translations and that's revenue. Uh, the bottom line is the Bible is the best selling book of all time. It's been on the shelves as the best selling book of all time for the past uh, 500 years. So um, uh, there's a lot of money in terms of the sale of Bibles and I have no doubt that that drives um, some of the translative decisions. Not, not so much the translative decisions but the desire of publishers to uh, publish new translations. There are tons of English options out there. Um, I, I, from time to time, have gone and taken a look at the top 10 uh, English translations. They would include the New International Version, the King James Version, the English Standard Version, the New Living Translation, the Christian Standard Bible, the New King James Version, the Message. Um, and then in addition, I think I've also mentioned the New American Standard Bible, um, as well as the new international readers version Uh, there's a brand new version on the market right now called the legacy standard bible which i've uh, been reading and reviewing and checking out and am very impressed by there are a lot of options when it comes to translations of the bible Uh, i mean and in terms of it each one of those translations is using a slightly different mix um, of those reasons for the translations that i described before so for example the new international version um, is a thought for thought or a dynamic equivalence translation rather than a word for word translation um, the NRV 2011 uses uh, as far as it possibly can gender neutral language um, whereas the NRV 1982 um, used Bible a literal language when it came to gender and to pronouns the King James Bible is the most read edition I mean it's still it's it's been on the top 10 in terms of Bible translations for 500 years uh, the most read edition would be the 1611 the authorized uh, KJV and it was translated from the Texas Receptus um, it is a deeply revered English translation um, it is a literal translation and it valued precision in the the translation process however it has a beautiful and a majestic style for any of you who memorize Bible verses uh, in the KJV I'm guessing that they still come back to you um, many many years later uh, and fill your heart with joy uh, I particularly enjoy uh, reading the KJV when it comes to poetry um, so the poetic books and specifically the Psalms just seem to sing when you read them from the KJV 
Next would be uh, the English Standard Version, uh, and the English Standard Version is a, a revision of the Revised Standard Version. So it's a revision of a revision. It's it's published by Crossway. Um, for those of you who are Anglicans out there, or who are Reformed out there, uh, who, or who have read um, Christian literature in the last fifty years, J.R. Packer is a name that I'm guessing rings a bell to you. Uh, he was the general editor uh, of the English. Standard Version, and it follows a literal word-for-word translation philosophy as far as possible, capturing the precise wording and personal style of each of the Bible writers. But it does take into account the differences of grammar and syntax and idioms uh, between current literary English and those original languages. So it's more literal than the NRV 2011, but it's more fluent and it's more colloquial than, than than a literal translation such as the New American Standard Bible. In actual fact, because I mentioned the New American Standard Bible, let me just describe that for a moment. Um, That has evolved from what was the American Standard Version, which in turn was a revision of the Revised Version. And the New American Standard Bible, uh, it focuses on fidelity. Um, it, It really does try and be as literal word for word as possible. Um, The major advantages to a Bible study student um, of the New American Standard Bible is that it really takes care uh, on on, on kind of literary aspects of the authorial intent. So, for example, when it comes to verbs uh, in Greek, they're really, really important. Uh, The New American Standard Bible tries to make sure as far as possible, if you've got a present participle in, in a Greek verb, it gets translated into English as an ing word so that that is reflected. It tries to indicate uh, as far as possible um, what the original verb usages uh, in Greek are. I I think it is the best Bible uh, when it comes to uh, studying for if you're a student, if if you're really studying God's word and devouring it uh, in terms of trying to understand the authorial intent, I I do think that the American Standard Bible is a great translation uh, to kickstart that process off. Um, And maybe just to bring in the Legacy Standard Bible here, the Legacy Standard Bible is a brand new translation on the market. In actual fact, they've just been getting whole pieces of the Bible um, online recently. I'm not even aware if it's available in hard copy yet. Um, The the Legacy Standard Bible... um, runs off the back of the New American Standard Bible. In other words, it's, it, it is an extension of the New American Standard Bible that makes use of very particular nuances in language. So, for example, uh, the Tetnagrammaton, uh, the, the the personal name of God, Yahweh, um, is translated in the Legacy Standard Bible um, as such. In other words, they use the American Standard Bible as the base, um, but they extend certain features of language um, beyond the that which the American Standard Bible chooses to take. And um, what else is out there on the on on the in the market? You've got the new King James Version, which is really a, a, a kind of like a linguistic update, a, a modern trans. It's a modern translation of Scripture. However, it it, it lends off the legacy, uh, the stylistic beauty of the King James. Uh, and then you've got the Message. Uh, the Message was written by uh, one man. Uh, where's the rest? We're we're really 
teams of translators um, coming together in order to make the most precise translations that they possibly could. Um, the message was written by a, a scholar and a pastor, Eugene Peterson. It's not so much a translation, but rather an interpretation of the text. Um, and it's engendered quite a lot of criticism for its lack of serious scholarship and, and sometimes outright bizarre renderings of uh, of certain verses um, and it certainly would fall into that thought by thought category um, so as we as we kind of come to this question of Bible translations I, I have no doubt that uh, one recognizes that there is a lot of options out there there's a lot of options out there and uh, and and one has to come to the, the 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 kind of consideration. What option then would be good for me? Should I look at a thought for thought uh, option, or should I look for a word for word translation when I'm looking for a Bible? Um, obviously, thought for thought is useful to encourage just the reading of God's word, especially amongst children and adults um, who are in danger of not reading God's word because it's difficult to read in a more word for word translation. But the, the the danger to them is that um, the more thought for thought a translation is, uh, the more it is an interpretation of the words rather than a translation of the words, which makes it problematic, particularly when it comes to the study of Scripture. So if, you're, if your pastor is standing in the pulpit saying uh, he prepared his message from one of the translations, which is more thought for thought, well, then you know you, you, you're getting... Um, a, a man who who may very well have spent a, a lot of time on his uh, in his study um, reading and preparing for the sermon, but one of the dangers of that is he's been reading an interpretation um, rather than a translation of God's word and hasn't been getting as close as he possibly can uh, to the authorial intent uh, of the text. It's just a it's a red flag that would go up in in my mind if uh, if I heard that. Formal, inc- formal equivalents or this word-for-word Bibles uh, are certainly useful for studying God's Word. The disadvantage, though, is that they are less accessible for reading, for just pleasurable reading of God's Word. And maybe to say, yeah, I do think that we need to come to God's Word um, in a variety of ways. Um, God's Word needs to be memorized. God's Word needs to be studied. God's Word needs to be read um, in large sections. Uh, God's Word needs to be meditated upon. Uh, God's Word is, 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 is for all of life, and we need to access it in, in multiple ways in order to entrench it and, and move it deep into our hearts. And so I would say, even for those of you who can afford to have more than one Bible, you might want to consider not just you know picking the 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 prettiest cover um, that is available in your local Kim bookstores or PNP or wherever you buy your books. Don't don't base it on on the cover and don't base it on whoever's promoting the Bible, but rather give some thought to adding uh, to your collection of Bibles a word-for-word translation if you don't have one. In other words, if all of your translations are thought-for-thought, add a word-for-word translation uh, to your Bible collection so that you can uh, really get an idea of of what the authorial intent was um, from a language use perspective. Or alternatively, if you've only got an NASB and a ESV and a KJV on your shelf, 
give some thought to giving a to to looking at a dynamic equivalence, a thought for thought translation, so that you can have a translation which reads a little bit more easily, uh, which you can access. This becomes especially relevant if you're not a first language English speaker. If you're not a first language English speaker, my suggestion is go and speak to your pastor um, to find a um, a Bible which is at once a um, good translation. It is uh, it, uh, the the integrity of the translation method uh, is sound, but but is also um, accessible. Uh, you can read it and understand it and 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 access God's word for yourself. Uh, I've spent uh, quite a bit of time evaluating the different types of source texts. You'll remember I said there were there were three main reasons why there's so many translations. The first was language train, uh, changes. The second was translation methods. But the third was source texts. I, I've spent quite a bit of time over the last uh, 23 years since I became a Christian um, evaluating uh, the source text. So trying to decide, you know, this textus receptus that builds up towards the King James and the New King James, um, or this eclectic method uh, using the Alexandrian text, the oldest and the best manuscripts, and trying to come to a conclusion in terms of which source texts um, have the most fidelity when it comes and come closer to the original um, manuscripts uh, of the Greek text. And as I've evaluated the source text, I've come to the conclusion that the oldest and the best manuscripts are uh, are to be favored. Um, so Textus Receptus being the King James and the New King James, uh, I would say the oldest and the best manuscripts, the the, ver- the translations which use the oldest and the best manuscripts, whether that be an NIV, an NASB, an ESV, that those would be the favored um, texts that I would go to um, in order to understand what the authors, what the author originally said. And so when we put all of that together, um, as we look at the different methods that are available to us, and as we think of these source texts and the way that translations have have uh, come about, um, the sweet spot for me would be the guys that have used the eclectic method uh, in terms of um, uh, creating source texts, and guys that have a more literal translation, a, a studious translation, a, a translation that attempts to get as close as it possibly can um, to the original Greek. And so, uh, in my mind, that then means that there are three translations right now that, that are favored uh, in terms of a a first Bible for an English speaker like me, uh, that would be the New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version, and the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, those are the top contenders. Um, uh, and and there's a lot to be said for each one of those translations. Um, uh, and in fact, I've, I've kind of spoken favorably of all three of them already. I think after that, uh, each one would then need to go and, and make a decision as to, as to which of those translations they're going to invest their hard-earned cash because let's face it when you buy a bible um you can get a a relatively inexpensive um uh uh, published bible um for just you know a a couple of 10 rand notes um uh, but but then you're going to get teeny tiny text that you can hardly read Uh, i've experienced that a lot 
um, you know, you you kind of have one of the, the the Bibles that get handed out for free. It's printed on on very very cheap, inexpensive paper that tears incredibly easily, uh, and the text is so small that uh, at my age, and I'm 45 and need glasses even to drive. Um, but at my age, like I struggle to read the the, the kind of tiny little uh, font writing um, and so uh, you know uh, you, you find yourself having to invest a little bit of money in either getting a large print or a giant print Bible um, and then if you want any features like a leather bound book or a, a book that has ribs on the spine or hand stitched and so the Bibles can get pretty expensive before you spend your hard earned cash on a Bible my suggestion is to give some thought um, to to the translation and not just to the color uh, of the um, of the of the cover page uh, that you might be buying uh, there's some things that you might want to think about regarding that hey if you've got any questions regarding uh, Bibles and translations I'd be happy to answer them uh, we are live on air uh, for the next uh, hour uh, we're coming up to 10 o'clock and we'll be taking a break on the hour um, but I am looking forward uh, to engaging you with questions around God's Word or around what God's Word says. If you've got a question from the Bible that you would like answered, um, please do engage with us. Let me give you the contact details so that you know how to phone in, uh, which certainly would be my pressure, preference. The studio line is 012 and it is uh, 334 or 012 8699. Uh, you can drop comments on Facebook, Radio Pulpit, Radio Console. I will certainly look that up uh, shortly and in the second hour of the show. And you can send WhatsApp and Telegrams to 082 657 2729. We have Teresa on the line. Is this Teresa, our longtime listener? Yeah, it's apparently true for the long time listener how you guys doing ah brother it's good to have you on the line so exciting to chat to you this morning how are you doing brother i'm all right man i'm all right now so, now uh, we, we, when you ask questions on whatsapp there's always three of them and 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 i get to choose kind of out of those three um <laughs> the one which i feel adequately uh, um equipped to answer but when you when you phone live in uh, you get to ask the questions i get to answer them on the fly so um yeah go ahead i'm excited to hear what you have to say okay cool so maybe the questions will be linked to um the topic and the first question would be um what causes a translation to be discontinued? What All causes right, so a translation to be discontinued? Can I can I answer that question just uh, just relatively quickly? So let me uh, do, 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 should first give all of my questions and then okay. down for any listen sure. okay. okay, no problem. Okay, cool. So that's the first one, and then um, the second question has to do with uh, what do I then have to do if I'm a believer and I have a translation such as a um, TPT. Would I need to then reconsider, or would I need to continue reading it with the warnings in the back of my mind? And uh, the third question uh, has to do with uh, seeing that you've spoken about uh, Bible translations. What then should I look out for if I'm interested in getting a study Bible? What features should I um, look out for when coming to getting a good study Bible? Those so, are. Uh, 
excellent questions, Teresa. Thank you so much for asking well, them. I understand you're going to be listening on air, and that's yeah. great because that means I'll answer the first one now, and the second two I'll, I'll answer after our break at the top of the hour, together with questions from Anandi as well as Mundi. I'm looking forward okay. uh, to all of this, as well as from Gloria and uh, and Andrew. Uh, so a number of questions have come in. Uh, thank you, Teresa. You can listen uh, okay. live on air. So what Thanks, co- <laughs> Cheers mate. Um so the first question was what causes a translation to be discontinued? What tr- what causes a translation to be discontinued? Well, I mean, there are so many translations out there, and I'm sure each translation has its own story. Uh, I'm actually not in publishing, and uh, and this isn't a sponsored show, so no publisher is involved in this. Um, I think it would be kind of dangerous for me to give a blanket answer. This is what causes Bible translations to be discontinued. But I can give you a couple of ideas. So, um, number one, uh, a Bible translation would certainly be discontinued if the publisher can't afford to publish it. Um, so, you know, there, there might be... Uh, plenty of examples out there of Bibles which have been discontinued because it's no longer feasible actually to run them through the printing press. Number two, and this is probably the most likely one, um, Bible translations often aren't discontinued. They're kind of upgraded to version 2.0. And I've given examples of that already um, in terms of the um, of the changes to the NIV. So the, the NIV 1984, I keep on saying that, it might be 1982, but let's go with 1984. The NIV 84 um, uh, was uh, the number one best-selling translation across the world. Um, in 2011, the NIV 84 was discontinued at some stage around that, and a new version of the NIV began to be promoted by the publisher. Uh, the new version, the 2011 version included gender neutral language so the publisher made a decision they made a translative decision to move away from the pronouns that the bible authors were using in terms of masculine pronouns primarily and to move towards more gender neutral language so for instance the word Anthropos, which is translated into English as man, um, might be translated in a gender-neutral environment as humankind, or um, probably not mankind, because that's still got a bit of uh, gender reality to it. Um, And so there was a move, a shift away from a literal translation of pronouns toward a more general gender neutral uh, use of pronouns so uh, the publisher made a translative choice and phased the one version off uh, and bought a new version in which they then bought to market Um, and so what causes a translation to be discontinued Uh, a publisher decisions and often that would I'm sure be driven um, by market realities in terms of, of what they are selling into Your second question, what do I need to do if I have a discontinued translation? Well, the truth is, if you've got a Bible and it's a faithful translation, it it might be a little bit older, um, but maybe it's the it's a first version of the NASB, for instance, or the first version of the of the ESV. The ESV now has an authorized version, a a new um, kind of like upgraded, more attention given, particular to uh, to some uh, contentious passages. Um, But if you've got a first version of the ESV, you know, brother, read your Bible and and read it with confidence. the reality is if you've got a faithful um, translation 
which is true to the original text um, whether or not it's been published uh, you know in the common market or not is actually inconsequential enjoy reading the Bible you have um, and do that to God's glory your third question regarding study Bible features I will take up after the hour right now we are going to go to a song break we are going to listen to Raymond Sillier's singing every day Golf time is fun time. Friends, uh, I don't know if you heard the advert uh, a little while back, but they spoke about golf and they spoke about a four ball and they spoke about a shotgun start. Um, You might think I might know something about golf, having just mentioned all of that. I know nothing about golf. However, there is a golf day coming up uh, with uh, Radio Pulpit. And if you are interested in attending it, whether um, coming into a four ball or being involved as uh, various different presenters are auctioned off, uh, please do contact Radio Pulpit or contact me directly and I'll give you some more information. I happen to know that I'm being auctioned off on Tuesday. <laughs> so on Tuesday, Janine and Vainant are going to be auctioning off uh, myself. I will be uh, live uh, streaming uh, from the golf day and I will be going around with a four ball in a cart talking about whatever you guys want to talk about. Um, so if you are interested in having a discussion around Bible translations or about biblical counseling, that's what we spoke about last week, or about leadership development in 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 uh, in local churches or any of the other topics that you've heard me talk about for the last couple of years and you would like some time uh, to have those conversations together with other people um, while you zip around the golf course um, I am looking forward uh, to being with you we have Gerald on the line I'm going to bring him in uh, right now Gerald it's so good to have you with us uh, uh, this Friday hello there are you fine I'm very well thank you Gerald how are you Praise the Lord. No, I'm fine, thank you. Uh, on a previous program, you spoke about the search engine, uh, the ultimate search engine, uh, on, online search engine, or offline or online search engine on, that you can uh, um, do uh, Bible study with. Ah. Uh, it's the biggest one that there is, you said, but uh, if, if you got stranded on an island, you prefer to have that with you or something like that. I, th- I think I can remember what you were talking about. Do you want me to give you the details again? Yes, please. Sure. And, and let me just explain uh, maybe to the listeners, Gerald, uh, what, it, what it actually is. So it is, a, it is a collection, a curated... The reception is very poor, sorry. Okay, Hello? no problem. Do, do you want to listen on the radio, uh, Gerald, and I will explain... Sorry, I'm, the... not, I'm not at the, radio, at the radio at the moment. I'm in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We, we, we came to the shopping center and, and okay. I, had to, I had to go into the shop and I found you. Okay, let me, let me tell you what it is. It's www dot precept austin um, dot com precept austin dot com so uh, if you type into google precept austin dot uh, uh, org sorry dot org uh, you will get uh, the okay, website again, please? Uh, precept austin uh, precept is p r e c e p t precept or pretext what <laughs> precept austin uh, precept yes precept austin Okay, please sit. Thank yes. you very much. Okay, God so, bless you, Gerald. Cheers. You too, sir. Have a nice day. Every blessing. 
and and maybe friends those of you who are listening online uh, let me just tell you what precept austin is uh, it is a collection of commentaries a curated collection of commentaries uh, that have been provided of free commentaries that are available to you on every book of the bible and every verse of every single book uh, if you go to preceptaustin.org on the right hand side there's a drop down menu where you can select a book of the bible and then they present you with literally hundreds and hundreds of commentaries uh, on that book and each commentary can be divided down to each verse so if you're looking for instance for information um, and more insight into John 3.16 you'd go to preceptaustin.org and then on the right hand side you'd click on the drop down and you would choose the book of John and as you come across to the book of John you'll be presented with hundreds and hundreds of commentaries sound biblical commentaries which deal with the book of John you will easily be able to find a good insight to a particular chapter or a particular verse of God's word and the nice thing about Precept Austin is they also curate the content putting the best content closest to the top so sound commentators are as close to the top as you can possibly get and so it goes down through history of um, of commentaries which are available in the public domain I can't uh, I can't celebrate uh, that resource enough it is really really excellent I want to answer the last question that uh, that uh, Teresa raised and that was um, uh, study Bible features if you are in the market for a study Bible what should you be looking for now friends there are a lot of study Bibles out there they truthfully are I mean just hundreds there's life application Bibles there are student study Bibles there are um, uh, historical study Bibles evangelism study Bibles uh, there, there is such a range of study Bibles out there what should you be looking for well number one if you the kind of feature that you need to be looking for is if you read your Bible a lot and if you study from your Bible a lot in other words there's going to be a lot of foot traffic and um, through this book you are going to be opening it and paging it all the time then my advice right up front to you would be save up if you possibly can uh, and get a leather bound study bible and the reason for that is it's just going to last longer than a hardcover uh, study bible um, and so that's really just a very very practical feature um, if you're going to use this book an incredible amount then then I would invest personally uh, if I could afford it uh, in a leather bound uh, study bible what other features are you looking for well what you need to do is you need to go and take a look in the um, at the beginning of the book and figure out who the general editor of the work is uh, let me explain what I mean um, for instance the Reformation Study Bible the general editor if I understand it correctly would be R.C. Sproul the MacArthur Study Bible the general editor would be John MacArthur um, and so as you go through the various different study Bibles um, the general editor um, is the person who exerts the most influence and direction uh, on the decisions that are made in terms of who they bring on board for uh, for content for particular books how they compile their content what they value in terms of the content that they're going to be providing to the list uh, to the reader and so um who the the main uh, editor the general editor is becomes incredibly important I, I would say that that would be my my second kind of 
go-to tip if I was looking for a new study Bible. I I would recommend that you go and you speak to uh, your pastor or go and speak to a, a trusted advisor before you buy a study Bible. And that's because study Bibles are going to set you back between, I'm guessing, at the at the bottom, at the lower range, maybe 500 Rand to about 1,000 uh, Rand, 3,000 Rand, uh, depending on which study Bible you get. And and that's a guess. I'm, I'm, I, I don't sell books and, uh, and haven't been into a bookshop for a while. Um, I could look it up, I guess, on Google and give you more precise uh, costings. But, but that's, I'm guessing... The, the kind of variance that there might be out there. Before you spend that kind of money, um, you want to get as much uh, input and insight from people that you trust as possible. Um, whether that be a pastor friend or whether that be your direct pastor, um, go and speak to them and, and ask them to give you maybe two or three options that you can consider. Um, I have noticed that some of the latest study Bibles are coming out with the most incredible uh, content inside. So I took a look at the Holman Christian Standard Bible uh, Study Bible. In fact, my wife has one of those. Um, I've in the past had uh, MacArthur Study Bibles. Um, but the, the Christian Standard Bible Study Bibles have got um, color maps in them for to show you geopolitical shifts. They have got kind of like um, beautiful 3D illustrations and drawings so that you can kind of grasp the sights and the sounds of the lands um, where the books were written. Those kinds of features in some ways are cosmetic. And so um, whilst they are very, very nice to have, if you're a student of the Bible, it's always useful to get some kind of historical context that you're reading through through the work. Um, I would encourage you to start off by figuring out who's the general editor. And then in line with Excuse me. Uh, in line with today's conversation, um, can I really encourage you to give the most thought to the translation that the study notes are being derived from? So whether that be a, 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 a decision that you're going to go with the King James Version or a decision that you're going with the New American Standard Bible or a decision that you're going with the Christian Standard Bible, whatever it might be, um, make your translative decision first and then after. After you've made your translation, translative decision, find a study Bible which is based on that translation. When it comes to study Bibles, friends, um, you do want to make sure that you get a word-for-word translation over a dynamic translation because you're trying to study the word. So you want to get as close to word-for-word as possible, which means the New American Standard Bible is a great place to start. The English Standard Version, uh, the Christian Standard Bible, uh, and and those kinds of more um, of more word for word translations are going to keep you in good stead for the longest possible time. I hope that makes sense. And Teresa, got to say, great questions. Thanks for asking them, brother. I'm going to turn to uh, Facebook and just uh, read uh, a one question which came in uh, on the Facebook page. It comes in from Rose Chetty. Great question, Rose. Uh, good morning and God bless, Brother Mark. I've been going to a Bible-believing church, which they only follow the New King James Version. May I ask why other versions are not for Bible believers to use? So, Rose, I, I hope that you do get the opportunity to go back and listen um, through some of the discussion today you'll find that uh, the New King James and the King James are based on a very specific source text called the Textus Receptus whereas all the other um, uh, 
uh, translations use what are called the eclectic method, um, which is fundamentally based on the Alexandrian text, the oldest and the best manuscripts. Um, for myself, I favor uh, the oldest and the best manuscripts. However, my heart does go out to those who favor Textus Receptus. Um, I do understand that there are some that get very, very um, um, antagonistic um, around other Bible translations um, I, I think I understand some of what motivates them the bottom line is this is the word of God and we need to revere it and we need to treat it with the utmost of respect um, but I don't think that it's true to say that those who use a version different to your individual church uh, are, are necessarily not Bible believers uh, I think that goes beyond the text um, and it doesn't take into account uh, the fact that our English versions are at best um, faithful translations um, but they're not the very word of God the very word of God in order to understand that we need to get as close to the original manuscripts as we possibly can um, but that was a great question Rose and I, I really do thank you for uh, for asking it or for observing it I'm sure there's a number of other people that are listening in uh, that have been exposed to some of the same teaching uh, I do find it interesting though um, that you mentioned that they use the new uh, King James Version rather than the King James Version often those that are the most veracity around uh, one translation and it must be King James 1611 nothing else is authorized um, I, I find it funny when you have the same amount of impact but you're using a, a modernized uh, translation that that makes me smile um, there's a couple of other questions that have come in uh, particularly on whatsapp uh, let me go to them for you um, brilliant questions um, um, I want to start with a general question uh, which came in uh, from uh, uh, Nandi. Uh, where in the Bible does it state that suicide condemns someone to hell? Uh, that's uh, as the question was asked. Um, Anandi, let me just be very unequivocal on this. Um, the Bible does not state anywhere that suicide condemns someone to hell. Um, that would be a misinterpretation of the unforgivable sin um, possibly um, at play. Is suicide a sin? Yes, it is. Uh, the truth is we need to value human life. God certainly does. You can read about that um, through the whole of God's word. But in particular, straight after the flood where he affirms that man is created in the image of God. And so, um, and so uh, we, we mustn't advocate uh, for suicide. But at the same time, uh, we mustn't make suicide something that it isn't. It, it might be a sin, uh, as many other things are sin, but it's not an unforgivable sin. Uh, the truth is we entrust ourselves uh, to God and we don't always know what motivates a person um, to sin in this way. Um, Mundy, a second question, says, Good morning, my brother in Christ. Is there anywhere in the Bible where we are allowed to pray for ourselves? Because I feel that it is selfish. I would love to hear your opinion. All my love in Christ Jesus, Mundy DeForce. And can I just say, I, I, I love the question, Mundy, and I love the spirit that you've asked it. Um, and and let's face it, I'm, I'm sure we've heard the prayers of, of some saints uh, as they pray for a Ferrari or for a plane, and we've scratched our head and, and certainly thought, come on, that, that just does not sound like it is uh, that it is God's will. Um, but Mundy, uh, we are encouraged to pray uh, for ourselves in God's word. Uh, my mind immediately goes uh, to the book of... 
Philippians and in Philippians chapter 4 after the apostle and this is just one example by the way Mandy um, but in Philippians chapter 4 uh, I'm just spelling out Philippians yeah um, in Philippians chapter 4 after a, a brief discussion regarding some some mess in the church and some um, exhortation that the apostle needed to go he says rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice let and this is a command your reasonableness be known to everyone and that's in relation to the mess above these two women that are at odds with one another and then he goes on to say that the Lord is at hand so the Lord's second coming is is imminent do not be anxious about anything that's a command but this is a contrast in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God uh, I guess it might be possible to say that these requests mustn't be for ourselves but I think given the context um, that a person who is anxious is encouraged to rather pray and with supplication and thanksgiving make requests known to God I think this would be an example where we are encouraged to pray for ourselves Mandy, let me also say, if you read through the Psalms, many of which are obviously songs, many of which are celebration and praise, they are mixed in there. A number of Psalms where the psalmist is praying directly for themselves in the circumstances that they find themselves in, crying out to God uh, in the midst of difficulty and distress. And so uh, whilst I do think that many of the prayers that we see around us may um, be motivated not by the will of God but by selfish intent, it's not true to say because we have maybe prayed selfishly in the past, we shouldn't pray for our own needs. I mean, actually, my mind immediately goes again to scripture uh, and to the words of Jesus Christ where he teaches his disciples to pray um, and yeah I'm talking um, uh, in the book of Matthew um, and uh, um, where, where Jesus where his disciples come to him and say Lord teach us to pray and Jesus says pray like this our father that is in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us um obviously i'm repeating the lord's prayer in the translation that i learned it which just happens in this case to be the king james version i'm i'm fairly certain um because that's what comes to mind um but but there the prayers that jesus christ is instructing us to pray very personal very heart-wrenching uh, include our need for daily bread include um our needs um and and then i think of uh, many of the um, parables which Jesus gave us to illustrate prayer they include an individual element in it so the persistent widow who goes before the judge um, asking over and over again for justice this would be praying for an individual need that that person has and so um, whilst Monday you are right we need to avoid um, praying prayers which are self-driven and self-willed and not according to the will of God um, it's not um, it's not accurate to say uh, that uh, that we can't pray for ourselves. John Thompson, uh, this uh, this is a live show, uh, and I see that question came in via WhatsApp. Uh, you are more than welcome to engage and interact with us on WhatsApp if you have any questions, comments, um, or observations to make.
Andrew uh, Mateba uh, says uh, has a has a question. I'll come back to that if if there's time. Gloria um, says why are some texts removed from the NIV Bible translation? Gloria, that's a that's a great question. Um, uh, excellent question. Well worth uh, asking and well worth considering. Um, so it is true. Um, as we read through a, um, a, a certain text, we come to portions um, where uh, the eclectic method would say um, uh, this text doesn't exist um, in, in the oldest and the best manuscripts. Um, now, what do we do with that? Does that mean that there's some kind of cover-up, that they're trying to cover up the deity of Christ or they're trying to remove some doctrine from the Bible? Uh, I don't believe that's true. I believe they're motivated not from a desire of removing doctrine, but from a desire of coming as close as they possibly can to the original manuscripts um, as they can. So let me give you examples of passages of scripture which the oldest and the best manuscripts do not include. Um, Off the top of my my head would be the longer ending of the book of Mark. Um, The Gospels each end in a different place, right? Um, The Gospel of Mark appears to be the 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 youngest ending um, it actually ends at the tomb now there's a section which continues I think after verse 5 um, which includes a longer ending of the book of Mark but most of your Bibles will have that section in brackets and there will be an asterisk or an indication in the footnotes that will say the oldest and the best manuscripts do not contain uh, this portion of text another example and there's only two examples uh, long examples of um, of variants between the Textus Receptus and the Eclectic Method. The other example would come from the book of John. In John chapter 7 verse 58 all the way through to John chapter 8, I think verse 11, um, you have the story uh, called Textus Adulteress, the woman uh, caught in adultery. And uh, uh, the oldest and the best manuscripts do not contain that portion of scripture. Um, in actual fact, um, the oldest uh, records that we have of it is 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 hundreds and hundreds of years um after uh, the full manuscripts which we have in our possession and even where that passage of scripture um is to be inserted uh, there's great dispute amongst the greek manuscripts that we have some put it um after the book of luke some put it after the book of john um some put it uh, in john chapter uh, 7 verse 58 the text is the received text uh, Textus Receptus um, clearly had that portion of scripture um, uh, included uh, in the Erasmus uh, manuscripts Uh, but other texts the oldest and the best manuscripts including those Alexandrian texts um, do not have it there Gloria great question Uh, there are other passages of scripture uh, like one of the one of the verses that I I, I, I often refer to um, uh, comes from uh, the book of Acts, the story of uh, Philip and the eunuch. Um, as Philip uh, talks to the eunuch, the eunuch gets to a point um, of putting his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. He he sees water and he says, uh, look, there's water. What's preventing me from being baptized? Uh, and then what seems to be an insertion uh, in that text is... Um, is if you believe with your uh, if you believe with your uh, if you ah, let me actually go to the text um, so let me um, go across to the book of John and in the book of John uh, let's go to <coughs> excuse me and um, uh, in the book of John 
uh, did I say John? <laughs> That's why I can't find it. It's the book of Acts. <laughs> In the book of Acts, and it's after the stoning of Stephen, um, after persecution comes on the church, after the church is pouring and tumbling out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and taking the gospel message with them. In uh, the book of Acts, uh, chapter 8, we have the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I'm sure you know it well. Um, but but in the text, um, we have, uh, see, yes, water, what prevents me from being baptized in verse 36. What isn't included in the oldest and the best manuscripts is what comes after that in verse 37. Uh, Some of the manuscripts add all, and even there, there's a bit of variance in terms of what the manuscripts add. Add all or most of verse 37. Uh, And Philip said, if you believe with your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, People might point to that and say, well, look, they've taken out a verse which says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Clearly, there's a cover-up, a a subtraction from the deity of Christ. Well, that's not true at all. A, they're trying to be as... as, uh, they're trying to handle uh, the the texts with the greatest integrity and care that they can and they're noting that the oldest and the best manuscripts don't have this text in however there's no verse which is missing from the bible which which uh, absolutely uh, undermines a key doctrine of the Christian faith. Um, Jesus being the Son of God can be made uh, the, the same, the same uh, uh, doctrinal position can be made from hundreds and hundreds of other texts in the New Testament. Uh, I, I think of the book of John which focuses on the deity of Christ and just how Christ's deity is over and over affirmed uh, in that great and that glorious book. Thank you Gloria for that question. That really is a good one. Um, Alicia has a question. This uh, this question is for my, my son. He's 10 years old and he wants to know the Bible talks about God in the beginning but where does God come from? I tried to explain to him, but I think he would appreciate it coming from someone else. What an excellent question, and I love it when 10-year-olds are thinking about um, such uh, mind-exalting uh, topics. Um, uh, mind-exalting topics, God-exalting topics. Um, and let me just commend you, for a 10-year-old, that is a great question to think about. So if you had to go back to Genesis chapter 1, uh, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, we read that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. And from that we get the doctrine uh, of creation out of nothing. We look at what God creates. He creates everything and what God created everything from. He created it from nothing. The technical word is ex nihilo, uh, out of nothing. God created everything everything in Genesis chapter 1. This is affirmed in the New Testament uh, and in the New Testament we learn that it is Jesus Christ who ultimately created everything. Uh, In John chapter 1 verse 1 we read in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And so we learn that, that everything that was made was made um, by God and that God is clearly stated in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 as the person of Jesus Christ that Jesus created the heavens and the earth this is further affirmed in the book of Revelation it's further affirmed in the book of Colossians we see this all over the place that God created everything from nothing now 
God created time and he created matter and he created space and he created man uh, in the beginning. Uh, but what happened before time was created? And before time was created, um, God's word uh, reveals that God was always there. So before God created year one, day one, month one, um, God himself always existed. Uh, we talk of pre-existence. We, Jesus Christ uh, referred um, to his pre-existence, for instance, in the book of John, as he says, before Abraham was, I am, I aming. Um, and he's making reference to the tetragrammaton, the, the personal name of God. And in this personal name of of God, we actually have um, uh, summed up this idea of the eternal existence of God. Um, you'll remember that the angel of the Lord appears to Moses in a burning bush in the book of Exodus. And in that burning bush, um, Moses is, is, is hearing God's command to him to go to Pharaoh and to, um, and to call God's people out of the land of Egypt in order that they might go worship him. And Moses' response is like, uh, you know, who sends me? In, in whose authority am I going to go? And God reveals to him this. He says, tell them that I am or I am who I am uh, is sending you. The the idea here is that um, God existing um, forever and continually existing forever, sustaining all things, the, the pre-existing one, the eternal I am. And so uh, your 10-year-old son is right to acknowledge that God in the beginning created everything. But before the beginning of time and space and matter, God existed, and he existed in the form that he currently is in, uh, eternally, um, a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit, um, the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ, uh, affirmed in both the book of John as well as in uh, the epistles. And as I think of the Old Testament, a verse comes to mind, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which talking of Jesus Christ, uh, talks of his origins from from ancient of days, from from old, from eternal. Um, thank you so much, blessed, um, and uh, I see your thanks. I see we've got a couple of voice notes uh, from Zanella, which uh, DK will be listening to uh, himself. Um, I see Gloria <coughs> has submitted a number of verses which are omitted from uh, uh, the NIV and that appear in the KJV and uh, thanks for that Gloria uh, I'm well aware uh, of those um, we do have May on the line right now May uh, thanks for dialing in it's good to talk to you absolutely it's actually May this but oh. sometimes people don't get it right, so I just say Mavis. Well, well, Mavis, I, I had an aunt named Mavis, so it's good to talk yes. to you this morning. Um, baptism. Baptism. First of all, let me, just, let me just thank you very much for what you are doing. I refer to Radio Pulpit as my church without walls and my theological school online. Thank you. Well, that's so nice to hear. For the empowerment and the education, I really appreciate it. So my question is around baptism. Yes. I grew up in an Anglican church um, where we do infant baptism. Yes. Um, my children grew up in church, beautiful children of God. They love the Lord, and I know that He loves and adores them. Yes. They grown. My daughter is at university, and by the grace of God, uh, is in another church, which is a Pentecostal church, and I'm 
so appreciative to God that she found a home away from home in terms of her church. Um, after a lot of research and a lot of prayer and a lot of everything that is needed, uh, discernment and all, she has decided that she would like to have to be rebaptized, mm. full submersion. I just want your views on that. I, for one, support her one million thousand percent. Um, as uh, I was saying in the home, as always, we must all work out our own salvation mm. with fear and trembling. Okay. And I said to her, as the Holy Spirit leads you, if that is what you, if that, if that is where the Holy Spirit is re- leading you now, by all means go for it. But I would like you to hear your view in terms of having been baptized as an infant in the name of the Father and the, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, the need thereof, the, does that mean that it nullifies what she's done, what she has gone through as an infant, and so on and so on. I think you've had these questions before, and I'm, I'll listen on the radio to your very informed uh, wisdom. Well, Mavis, thank you so much for the question. I think it's very relevant. Lots of parents... Um, <clears throat> ask the same question uh, that you're asking right now and let me just say that that it's also relevant to me um i grew up in an anglican church uh, my father in actual fact is an anglican priest he's a an anglican pastor um a good godly man loves jesus uh, loves the gospel uh, loves preaching um and i was certainly christened or baptized as a as a baby uh, uh you know uh, as a as a as a child beyond uh, before i could remember um when i came to faith though um wasn't in my parents home it was uh, many years later when i came up to uh, uh, uh pretoria and was uh, was living in i think midrand area and uh, went to a church uh, heard God's word opened, God's word faithfully taught, um, recognized that I was a sinner in need of a savior, put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my savior, and God saved me. The church that I was I was saved in um, was a Baptist church. And Mavis, I got to tell you, it took me at least two years before I could reconcile um this whole question regarding baptism uh, in my mind and not because I didn't see it in scripture but because of just this reality of of, of wanting to honor my parents uh, in particular uh, and not wanting to cause any any kind of difficulty uh, or disruption to them I wanted to make sure that I was sure that I understood what God's word is saying and so <clears throat> with all of that context let, let me tell you um, where, where I've come to Uh, in terms of what God's word says number one salvation is of the Lord it is not by works it is by faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone we're not saved by being baptized Mavis and so our Presbyterian brothers our Anglican sisters our uh, Methodist friends who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior um, but don't practice believer baptism um, that does not in any way imply that they are not saved by Jesus Christ um, in actual fact um, I think that it is important to note that as we uh, even look at some of the people that I've commended on the show today uh, J.R. Packer who was an Anglican I 
stated that at the beginning of the show. R.C. Sproul, who is a Presbyterian, I stated that in the middle of the show when I was recommending study Bibles. Um, These people were not baptized by full immersion, um, and yet I affirm their ministry. I I, I enjoy um, their theological insights. I read their books, um, and and am greatly encouraged uh, by their exhortations, uh, by their godliness, and by the way that they push me closer to the person of Jesus Christ. So I, I, I want to start there because um, I think that that at least that affirms what is the priority, the main thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for us and rose from the grave. And we are called upon to put our faith and our trust in him, not in any work, not in tithing or baptism or or taking care of the poor, anything. We put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. After that, though, Mavis, we ask the question, what did Jesus save us for? And the book of Ephesians is helpful in that we are told in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that we were, we were saved, amongst other things, um, for good works which were prepared for us before the foundation of the world. In, in other words, the, 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 the life of a believer it looks like something. Salvation is the root. Faith alone in Christ alone is the root. But a believer lives a fruitful life you know uh, good works prepared for us before the foundation of the world and i would say that baptism um in a normative environment is amongst the first of the good works uh, which we who are obedient to scripture um follow now i say in a normative environment um baptism is amongst the first of the good works that we follow i've already told you that it took me two years before i went through the water of baptism because i wanted to make sure that i'd wrapped my mind uh, around what the bible actually said regarding baptism and so what the Bible actually says around baptism isn't actually as hard to understand as what I uh, originally struggled with. The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, and the Greek word baptizo literally means to immerse. It doesn't mean to sprinkle, it means to immerse. (laughs) Um, So a submarine, when it dives underneath the water, is immersed by the water around it. But on a dry dock, if a submarine is being sprayed down by a hosepipe, it's not being immersed, it's being sprinkled. There's a different word, even in English, to describe that action. As we read the New Testament, we read first the command of Jesus Christ at the end of the book of Matthew, where he where he tells uh, his disciples to go and make disciples. That's the main point that he's trying to convey uh, in Matthew chapter 28. And he says that they to do that by, by performing three ongoing continual actions. The first one is they to be a going people. Go and make disciples. The second point is they to be a baptizing people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, they to be a teaching people, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And then he ends off in the KJV with, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. But not to reel back to the second thing that we are to do as we go about making disciples. Uh, Jesus says we are to go baptizing. We're, we're, we're to be a baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in one God in three persons. Now, Mavis, um, the word that Jesus used was immerse. And the question is, well, well, what did Jesus mean? And, and, and did his disciples uh, understand that, that he meant that people were to be baptized um, by immersion? And that question is answered by, for us by the, the writer Luke in the book of Acts. 
uh, in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, um, you'll remember that uh, you know the story well, right? On on the yeah. on the day of Pentecost, as the yeah. Holy Spirit comes down and divides in tongues of fire, and the hundred and twenty probably who are gathered in the upper room for prayer, they they come out. There was this massive noise, uh, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. People are gathered from all nations. Peter stands up and he starts to speak because they're speaking in tongues, uh, languages known to men. It's a it's a miraculous event. It's an amazing event. And and, mm-hmm. and Peter stands and and he addresses them and he and he lays down the gospel message clearly to them. You killed Jesus. He died. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. He's going to come and judge the living and the dead. The people are cut to their heart and they cry out, well, what then shall we do to be saved? And his answer is, well, you must repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Christ. If you then go down to verse 41, you actually have the response of the crowd. It says, in, in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, so those who received his word, in other words, those who believed first, were baptized. They were immersed. And that day were added about 3,000 souls to the church. I mean, it's, it is actually the most remarkable story as we go through it. The big question is, what baptism was that? Because I've heard the objection. Because now, now we've got the command of Christ. We've got the command of Christ followed. The question that we now ask is, was that command that was followed water baptism um, and that's answered for us in the text that I actually referred to um, a little while back um, the Ethiopian eunuch on his way down from Jerusalem heading back towards Ethiopia the evangelist Philip runs up next to the chariot he, he, he hears him preaching from the book of Isaiah he asks him do you understand what's going on here the Ethiopian eunuch says well how can I understand if no one explains Philip then uses that passage to present the person of Jesus Christ to him. The Ethiopian eunuch evidently uh, is saved, puts his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. And then in verse 6 of chapter 8, as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And the word there, baptizo, it's immersed. What did that look like? Well, helpfully, Luke tells us um, in verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, I can take you to other passages of scripture, but but I think, you know, given the time constraints on a Friday and the fact that we're getting close and closer to the end of the of the show, that I'm going to use those to make this point and this point alone. Number one. We are saved when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And I praise God that he is saving a people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, that God graciously saves Baptists and he saves Anglicans and he saves Presbyterians and he saves folk in Pentecostal churches. Um, God is good um, to save men from sin but he does call us to be obedient and one of the things that i truly believe that we are called to be obedient in is the waters of baptism going through them as believers those who have put our faith and our trust in jesus christ going through it in a way of testifying to a watching world that we have that we have been saved and an outward sign of an inward reality 
Ma- Mavis, we don't have. We that don't... was a mouthful. This was a mouthful. Um, I this this uh, program will be on podcast, right? I will podcast this uh, later on this afternoon. It will be available on podcast. Listen to it again. And if you've got any questions, ask me via email or via Facebook. Or next week, yes. uh, we can carry on talking. It was really, yes, really I great. Really, I really would like for my daughter to hear what you said because she was. I think she had a bit of an internal uh, conflict. Um, you know, I have been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so, so it's, it's something that she needs to hear to help her understand, just like you did. It took you two years, just so that she can also reach that point that she knows, that she knows, that she knows that what she's doing is not a head thing. It's a heart thing. It's a God thing. It's a good thing. Mavis, thank you so much. Mavis, I appreciate thank you, thank you so much day, for the call. I, I appreciate it as well. Thank and, you. Uh, thank and you. every every blessing to you. Um, uh, folk that are listening in, Gerard called in earlier and he asked, oh, I just I just hit my microphone, um, but it wasn't in anger. It was absolutely um, by mistake. Um, Gerard called in earlier and he asked a question regarding online commentaries and the availability of online commentaries. I, I'm just uh, typing him an answer because he asked the question again via WhatsApp um, so that he has it, but I'll tell you guys on air so that you have it as well in case I wasn't clear enough. www.preceptaustin and precept is spelt P-R-E-C-E-P-T and then Austin A-U-S-T-I-N dot O-R-G and uh, I commend that to you excuse me for um uh, for access to uh, to excellent content um there's a couple of other questions that have come in and statements uh, zella says that uh, was just commending the uh, study bibles that she has um really enjoys reading it uh, she does say god bless you in abundance and the teams that work with you that's you dk um and uh, that she loves uh, listening to the show thank you so much zella it's uh, good to be with you as well um and uh, Gerard, uh, brother, I have uh, sent you a WhatsApp uh, regarding uh, which link to go to. Uh, Elaine says, Mark, I agree with you. If people find it difficult to understand the gospel, obviously through the Holy Spirit first and foremost, but a book written by Henrietta C. Mayers, what the Bible is all about is incredible extremely insightful and the ESV study Bible wonderful manuscript to read as well God bless you abundantly and to God be all the glory Elaine and let me just say Elaine uh, Henrietta uh, Myers uh, she was very instrumental if my memory serves me correctly with the Sunday school movement in the United States I, I have a number of very old and worn books that bear her name and a couple of copies of what the Bible is all about and if I remember correctly it's an overview a scan uh, of the whole of Scripture and so uh, together with you I know that it's a it's a volume that has been used by many in in terms of understanding uh, what God's Word is all about Uh, Ammo says good morning my question is how can I study Christ as the true vine and surrender to the will of God. Uh, Ammo, thank you very much for the question. I guess when you're talking about Christ as the true vine, uh, your reference is to John chapter 15. I happen to be talking about John chapter 15 with my oldest daughter 
who's in matric uh, this morning. Uh, she had a couple of questions about John chapter 15. Um, your question, if I understand it, is um, uh, when you say, how can I study Christ as the true vine? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you're wanting a, a literal answer. So if you go to John chapter 15 from verse 1 to about verse 17, you'll get the the gist of, uh, of Jesus Christ presenting himself as the vine and his father as the vine dresser. And then uh, your second question, surrendering to the will of God, um, the importance of surrendering to the will of God. Uh, Emma, if you're looking for just where to get started, I would say read through the New Testament and and pay particularly attention, particular attention to the word Lord, to the word Lord. Uh, in English, the word Lord um, is, uh, oh, sorry, in Greek, the word Lord is kurion. The word master is despotes. Those two words, um, master and Lord in our English translations, is where you would start to find out about God and his sovereignty uh, and his will over us and our need to be subject to him in all things. Thanks for the question, uh, Amo. Um, Talita says, uh, we must be born again, born of the Holy Spirit and baptized in water. And then Yeshua was baptized. Now, Talita, I mean, I can't disagree with anything that you said. We must be born again. In fact, you must be born again. If you're listening onto this show right now and you are collecting information about the person of Jesus Christ, that is not enough, friend. You must, you must. You must be born again. You must put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. You you, you must believe that he is Lord. You must profess with your mouth and believe in your heart. If you don't yet, you must cry out to God that he would give you the gift of faith, that you might be born again, born of the Spirit. Um, now, now, just on the last point, you said Yeshua was baptized. The, the word Yeshua, for those um, who are listening in that might not be familiar with it, uh, would be a Hebrew word for Jesus. Um, it's where we get the, the the English word Joshua from. It means salvation. Um, God is our Savior. Salvation is of the Lord. Um, it, it isn't the word uh, that is referred to Jesus uh, in the New Testament. The New Testament wasn't written in Hebrew. It was written in Greek. And so in Greek, we have the word Iesu. Um, and so, uh, but, but really, that would be a translation of that word uh, Yeshua and Jesus coming to us from the Greek Iesu. Uh, you said that Yeshua was baptized, and it's true. Jesus Christ was baptized. However, it's not exactly the same baptism as we as believers are baptized in we as believers are baptized in obedience to the command of Jesus Christ it's a very particular baptism um, it's a baptism of association with Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior Talita, Jesus was baptized um, in the Jordan River by John and John's baptism was a baptism which in reality was uh, for repentance uh, it was Firstly, even before John was on the scene, a baptism that uh, proselytes, those who had come to the Jewish faith uh, from the Gentile nations, would go to in order to identify with the Jewish faith. Jesus Christ comes to John and says um, that he'll go through the same baptism. And John says, no, I can't baptize you. You must baptize me. And he's just described Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Jesus went through baptism um, really associating with us as humans in every way um, um, going through the same rites um, 
going through the same processes as what we did. However, John's baptism differs from from Christian baptism in this. Uh, Christian baptism is an identification with the person of Jesus Christ, with his death, with his burial, and with his resurrection. Now, you can read more about that in Romans chapter 6. And I'd encourage those of you who are listening in this morning to go and read Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is a dry baptism passage. In other words, uh, it's not actually talking about the immersion of water it's talking about the immersion of the spirit at the point of salvation however it draws from the metaphor of water baptism as we are lowered we we die with Christ as we are under the water we are buried with Christ and as we rise again we rise with Christ in units of life and so a slightly different nuance uh, in terms of uh, of the baptism uh, thank you so much for this um Sandra says hi good afternoon I'd like to know more about your golf day Thanks, Cassandra. Um, we will close the show off uh, today, uh, DK, uh, with a, a spot ad regarding the golf day, uh, Cassandra, so that you and other listeners know how the golf day works. And friends, for those of you who would like to spend some time, even with myself on the golf day, I know I'm going to be auctioned off on Tuesday. Um, get the word. Tell your friends. If you've got a father or a brother that you'd like exposed for gospel, I will present the gospel to them once every 15 minutes. <laughs> during the golf day um, and they will have any questions that they have outstanding answered um, uh, and they can ask as many as they want um, the details regarding the golf day will be given at the end of the show and on Tuesday around 10 o'clock uh, Venant and uh, Janine will be auctioning off uh, my time on the golf day uh, there are greetings from Conda. there are a number of additional questions that have come in from Blessing and from Nun and friends I, I, I'm so sorry I don't have time to end and to tail off every single question that has been asked because we have come to the end of the show this morning but let me say this the show will be podcast so within the next hour to um, uh, to Radio Pulpit www.radiopulpit.co.za under podcasts um, this particular show Table Talk with Mark will be available along with all the various different questions that were asked um, today not only that if you are on Apple Podcast or if you are on rono.fm uh, you will find the podcast there and I would encourage you to subscribe it and share it with family and friends thank you to all of you who called in today I really enjoyed that uh, I enjoyed speaking to Mavis I enjoyed speaking uh, to others uh, thank you so much for that uh, and let me also say that uh, I loved uh, the steady stream of conversation topics both around God's word and around baptism uh, this morning I'm looking forward to next week Friday where I get to chat to you a little more as we close off the show today our prayers each week go out to elders and to deacons who hold the line in local churches as well as to our missionaries um, serving in foreign fields our prayers for and much respect goes out to all the first responders in our land uh, that includes our courageous police our defense force serving in foreign fields to all of those who dispense justice in our country, to our firefighters, to our paramedics, to our nation's nurses, and to our medical personnel, as well as to our correctional facility officers. You've been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark. Uh, we will be going to news shortly, and so until next week, Friday, walk wisely, live holy, and testify zealously. God bless.